0: Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to say thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to say thank you, Lord, for all you've done. For me. Good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome, 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 to Sunday dialogue. I am Prophet Shante Charles, and Apostle Robert Charles is along with me today, as we are sharing in our Sunday dialogue. If you're with us for the first time, uh, we do not do sermons; we do dialogues here. Uh, we share the word. We encourage and we pray that this word of encouragement is empowering you and impacting you in a good way for your daily living. Right now, we have been on the Gratitude Series. And so far, we have looked at our need to be rewired and renewed for gratitude. How to recover our gratitude And gratitude that restores. So as we dive in today, that's going to be our continued focus. And we're going to look at some texts, some passages of scripture, and we're going to see what God would be sharing with us today concerning gratitude. Join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God of all creation, Lord of every living being, maker of our souls, our bodies, our spirits, creator of the universe. We thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your truth that endures forever and endures to all generations. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. For you are forever my strength and my redeemer. I pray, Father, that the message that we release today, that the words that we speak today, God, that it would be spirit and life and that it would strengthen, that it would renew, that it would encourage those who are seeking to be better human beings and seeking to be better living souls in your son Jesus, the Christ's name. Amen and amen. So I'm excited about this word. I was I went to bed last night thinking about this word, um, and I woke up this morning thinking about this word and being hopeful um, concerning what I'm going to be sharing with you on today. So as I said, we've been talking about gratitude and, and different and various aspects. As always, we love to start out here with the definition of a word. So here's the definition for gratitude again. Gratitude is the quality of being thankful. It is a readiness to show appreciation. It is to return kindness. Some synonyms for gratitude include gratefulness, recognition, credit, kudos, regard, and respect. Now, the etymology of gratitude comes from one word. Uh, One of the etymologies it comes from is a word called granati, G-R-N-A-T-I, which means to sing praises or to announce or to celebrate. We've been talking about how gratitude is often a response to grace that's been given. And according to Cicero, who was a philosopher of his time, it is apparent to all other virtues or and or moral excellence. It is a sign of great character. We learn that gratitude can be a disposition, it can be a mood, or it can simply be a temporary emotion. But as believers, we want to strive for the attitude and the disposition of gratitude. And I think this is a as as is is coined, a most wonderful time of the year where we can take some time to really focus on our gratitude and to think about where we are placing our gratitude. Today, we're gonna look at a well-known character. This is probably one of my favorite um, male biblical characters to look at their life and glean from their life. I'm always inspired whenever I go And read the story of Joseph. He is somebody that I often return to when I think about moral character and when I think about moral excellence. And so I was not surprised in my study and as I was getting ready to outline for this sermon series a couple of months ago that, you know, God said, make sure you take a look, go back and look at the life of Joseph. From the lens of gratitude. Now we've looked at the lens of Joseph from a lot of different other lenses, but we're going to look at it today through the lens of gratitude. Because his story is so expansive, right? It expands from chapter from Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 50. I'm going to only highlight a few passages today that's pertinent to what I want us to grasp about Joseph. I'm not going to be reading all of the passages. I am going to reference the address and I'm going to summarize a little bit for you. So let's start out with Genesis 37, verses 12 through 13, and verse 17. Before we get to Genesis 37, 12 through 13, just in a summary. Um, it starts off Genesis 37 starts off with Joseph's father, Jacob settling down where his father had lived in the land of Canaan. And this is continuing with his story of his settlement at the time. And Joseph is about 17 years old at this time, and he's helping out his brothers in herding the flocks. Some of them were his half brothers, right? At this point, they were his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, and Joseph brought his father. Initially, he was bringing his father. The story tells us bad reports on them. It also tells us that Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the child of his old age. He made him an elaborately embroidered coat, what we call today or what we know many times as a coat of many colors a coat of many colors and when his brothers realized that their father loved him more than them the scripture says that they grew to hate him and they would not even speak to him we're going to pick up in genesis 37 verses 12 to 13 and verse 17 genesis 37 verses 12 through 13 Joseph's brothers had gone off to Shechem, where they were pasturing their father's flocks. Israel said to Joseph, your brothers are with flocks in Shechem. Come, I want to send you to them. Joseph said, I'm ready. So Joseph is traveling and he is getting ready to do what he always has been doing at this point. Right. This is standard operating procedure. He's simply going to do what he's always been doing, and that is giving a report or going to see what his brothers have accomplished and then giving that report to his father. As Joseph is journeying in verse 17, the man said, they've left here. He saw this stranger and he asked about his brothers and the stranger said they've left here, but I overheard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph took off, tracked his brothers down, and found them in Dothan. They spotted him off in the distance. By the time he got to them, they had cooked up a plot to kill him. So Joseph's journey that is recorded begins with his 17-year-old self being placed in charge of his brothers and in charge of the business of shepherding. It all starts with wanting to please his father looking for his brothers, and completing a task. Now, today we're going to talk about insightful gratitude. And let's take a look at what happens in Joseph's life. This one-day mission, this was supposed to be a get there, assess, observe, make a report, and go back home. This one-day mission turns into a 13-year mission. I want you to understand that. Joseph never makes it back home. Joseph never sees his father again after he is given that instruction to check on your brothers. Joseph is essentially plotted against by his brothers, In response to this parental favoritism that is perceived by the brothers, he is stripped of his symbol of authority, his coat of many colors. He is roughed up, being thrown into a pit, and then he is sold. Now we next... Come upon Joseph again in Genesis 39. And again, as I said, we won't be reading the entire text. Genesis 39, verses 1 through 6. After Joseph had been taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelites, Potiphar, an Egyptian, one of Pharaoh's officials and the manager of his household, brought him, bought him from them. As it turned out, God was with Joseph. And things went very well with him. He ended up living in the home of the of his Egyptian master. His master recognized that God was with him, saw that God was working for good in everything he did. He became very fond of Joseph and made him his personal aid. He put him in charge of all his personal affairs, turning everything over to him. From that moment on, God blessed the home of the Egyptian all because of Joseph. The blessing of God spread over everything he owned at home and in the fields and all Potiphar had to concern himself with was eating three meals a day. That was it. Now, though Joseph's station in life had been reduced from son, right, and business manager of his father's estate Though his position in life had been reduced, his grace had not been reduced. I want us to understand that. His position in life had been reduced. He was in less than ideal circumstances. He was in a foreign land, but his grace is not reduced. God is with him. And I want you to know that today, that even wherever you are, your position might have just been reduced. There are a lot of people right now being laid off for the holidays. Their position has been reduced, but the grace of God is not reduced. Let's see what happens. Verse 11 through 15. Things are going well. God is with him, God is favoring this household. On one of these days, he came to the house to do his work, and none of the household servants happened to be there. Potiphar's wife grabbed him by his cloak, saying, sleep with me. He left his coat in her hand and ran out of the house. When she realized that he had left his coat in her hand and run outside, she called to her house servants, look, this Hebrew shows up before you know it. He's trying to seduce us. He tried to make love to me, but I yelled as loud as I could. With all my yelling and screaming, he left his coat beside me here and ran outside. So Joseph might have a reduced position in life, but the grace of God is not reduced in his life. The grace of God is still working in and through Joseph. The grace of God is still upon his life. Good afternoon. So we see now that he is set up, and he's accused of sexual misconduct, and he is subsequently imprisoned for a crime that he did not commit. But let's see what happens. Verses nineteen through twenty-three. When his master had heard his wife's story, telling him. These are the things your slave did to me. He was furious. Joseph's master took him and threw him into the jail where the king's prisoners were locked up. But there in jail, God was still with Joseph. Again, his position according to life gets reduced. But God is still with Joseph. He reaches out in kindness to him. He put him on good terms with the head jailer. The head jailer put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. He ended up managing the whole operation. The head jailer gave Joseph free reign, never even checked on him because God was with him. Whatever he did, God made sure it worked out for the best. Do you know that there is no position in life that can reduce your grace with God? There is no person who can reduce your grace with God. People will try. (laughs) Oh, yeah, they will try. But the grace of God was with him. God was with him wherever he was, whether it was the highest heights or whether it was the deepest depths orchestrated sometimes by human beings, right? We see initially it was the jealousy of the brothers, right? And then there was a sexual motive happening with Potiphar's wife. Whatever the thing was, it did not stop the grace of God. It did not stop what God was planning to do in Joseph's life. So I want us to think about that. He was promoted and put in charge. While Joseph is in jail, he assists the prisoners by using his gifts. But as we know with human beings, we have a tendency to forget things, right? And so he is forgotten by the man that he reaches out to to say, Hey, remember me. I was put in here. I was innocent for why I was put in here. But Remember me when you get out. And what does that man do? He does what a lot of human beings do. We forget. He forgot. But guess what? God was still with Joseph. Let's look at chapter 41, verses 1 through 4. Genesis 41, 1 through 4. Two years passed and Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile River Seven cows came up out of the Nile all shimmering with health and grazed on the marsh grass. Then seven other cows all skin and bones came up out of the river after them and stood by them on the bank of the Nile. The skinny cows ate the seven healthy cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. (laughs) After two years of Joseph helping out those who he had helped out and interpreted dreams for in the prison. This dream comes up and it becomes a national concern because the leader of a nation is concerned and he cannot get an answer to his dream. He has tried his cabinet, right, of his magicians and his dream interpreters and all those people that were regularly a part of his cabinet that would often do those interpretations. And no one at this point could give him an interpretation. And suddenly, oops, <laughs> uh, verse 9 through 13, let's read. The head cup bearer spoke up and said to Pharaoh, I just now remembered something. What a human thing to do. It slipped my mind, but it finally came back. I just now remembered something. I'm sorry. I should have told you this long ago. Once when Pharaoh got angry with his servants, he locked me up and the head baker in the house of the captain of the guard. We both had dreams on the same night, each dream with its own meaning. It so happened that there was a young Hebrew slave there with us. He belonged to the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, each dream separately. Things turned out just as he interpreted. I was returned to my position, and the head baker was impaled. Now, in all honesty, come on, when we've had something bad or traumatic happen to us, we tend to want to put that in the back of our minds with whoever was a part of it or whoever was connected to it. So I don't blame this. (laughs) I don't blame uh, him for forgetting Joseph in that moment because his life was on the line, you know. And so that was probably his traumatic experience. I'm I'm out of it. My life is spared. I'm back in the palace. I'm going to forget about everything in that moment. And it's probably not something that I want to bring back up to the Pharaoh to remind him of how angry he was with me. So, you know, I'm going to table... Or I'm going to suppress that thought. But here in this moment, right, that memory comes up. That memory kicks in to say, oh, I know somebody who might be able to help us. Let's bring him to the forefront. And so what happens? Verse 14, Pharaoh at once sent for Joseph. They brought him on the run from the jail cell. He cut his hair. He put on clean clothes and came to Pharaoh. And one of the things as they say is what? The rest is history. Joseph is sent for. He delivers the answer that is needed. And that one answer That one on the job, (laughs) that one keep your skills fresh and your gifts sharp answer, changes his trajectory forever. God allows him to come before one person to perform one skill and that one skill changes his trajectory forever. Now, the question is, prophetically, are you ready for that kind of presentation? Are you ready for that one moment that your life, that your skill set might have been building up to, that changes your entire life forever? That changes your trajectory forever? Because that's what happens in Joseph's case. Remember, God has been with Joseph this entire time. He's been with Joseph every step of the way. So as Joseph begins to interpret, he not only gives, he not only tells him the dream, he interprets the dream. And then he not only interprets the dream, but he also releases strategy for the dream. Because, yes, I can give you interpretation, but... After I interpret it, what do I do now? What's the strategy moving forward? So Pharaoh recognizes that, man, we've got something unique here. We've got something special here in Joseph. And what does he say? Verses 39 and 40. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, you're the man for us. God has given you the inside story. No one is qualified as you in experience and wisdom. From now on, you're in charge of my affairs. All my people will report to you. Only as king will I be over you. And there is a point in their relationship where Pharaoh actually refers to Joseph as his father. But that's another message. So God has given him the inside story he has given him an insight that's going to help the entire nation the pharaoh tells him you have an experience and you have a wisdom and you know i've read this more than once but then i had to stop and say well where did he get all this experience and wisdom that pharaoh is talking about (laughs) i was like wait a minute Okay, at 17, he didn't have the experience and the wisdom. At 17, yes, he was in his father's house. He was over his father's flock. He was giving reports on his brothers. So where does Joseph gather this wisdom and this experience of and know-how of what to do? Well, in his father's house, he was overseeing animals. But in Potiphar's house, he's overseeing an estate. He's overseeing a household. He's overseeing land. He's overseeing people. And in prison, he's overseeing people from all walks of life. He's overseeing the poor. He's overseeing uh, those from the king's palace because he was in the king's prison. So he's gathering this experience and this wisdom through what he is going through. And sometimes we discount our process because we're trying to get to our purpose. We're trying to get to our destination. And sometimes we discount what we are learning in our journey and what we're learning along the way. Joseph is, in fact, enrolled in Pitt University, and he does not quite understand that at this point, right? Right. It could have been, as many of us, when we experience things or when we go through things and we feel like we're not at the place that we should be at, when we feel like we're not in the position in which we should be at, when we feel like instead of promoting or moving higher or excelling, we feel like we're being pushed down or suppressed or moving backwards. It could have felt like he was sinking lower and lower in life. You go from your father's house to being a servant in a stranger's house to then being accused after you're doing all you know to do, right? To serve that person in excellence and with good character. And your thanks for that is to get falsely accused and put into prison. Like that is not what people sign up for, right? Nobody signs up for the exact opposite happening in their life, contradictory to what they're putting out, right? So he could have been feeling like, "Uh -uh, I'm sinking in life, but nevertheless, God was with him. God was there. It seems like an obvious oxymoron that if God is with me, why am I in enslavement? If God is with me, why Am I in a prison? Neither one of these things were because I actively did something, right? But as he is sinking lower in his life status, he's actually rising in his life skills. He's rising in his life experience to the point. That when he is brought before Pharaoh for such a time as was needed, he's able to give some insight that actually matters. Let's see what happens as a result of this. We know that he says, I'm putting you in in charge of the entire country. No one is going to be higher than you except me. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph an Egyptian name, zaphanath Panea, meaning God speaks and he lives. He also gave him an Egyptian wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. Now this is interesting because Potipharah um, is potiphar's wife's daughter Hmm.
1: Hmm.
0: so potiphar again the scripture tells us that he reached out to him in kindness when he was in the prison he reaches out to him in kindness And now, Joseph essentially becomes his son-in-law. And in verse 46, it says, Joseph was 30 years old when he went to work for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. As soon as Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he began his work in Egypt. There was not a break in the work. He went from getting cleaned up, (laughs) being presented before Pharaoh, And given a wife and given an assignment, that's a quick turnaround. So we know from 17 to 30, 13 years, Joseph has been gleaning and he's been gathering experience and wisdom. That name, Daphneus, God speaks and he lives. Joseph embodies the voice of God in his role to the nation of Egypt. He is there to show that there is a living God providing directions to save a people. So it was a very appropriate name to be given to him. We know that Joseph becomes second in command, and then he reunites with his dubious brothers but only after vetting and testing their hearts. He's reunited eventually with his father and he saves the nation and the known world at the time from famine. 17 years later, and really 31 years later, including the years of good and plenty, Joseph is about 61 and his father, Jacob, is 147. His father issues a prophecy about his sons as he is set to transition. So we have come to the close of Jacob's life after Joseph and Jacob are finally reunited. And let's hop on over to Genesis 49. Remember, we're talking insightful gratitude. Genesis 49, verses 22 through 26. Jacob begins to detail a prophecy about Joseph. And he really starts to give us some more insight on what was going on with Joseph during his time, his life. He begins to tell us more about his son. Through prophecy. He calls Joseph a fruitful bow. He's like a fruitful bow. And in this, he says that Joseph is well watered and provided for. He says the archers with malice attacked, shooting their hate tipped arrows, but he held steady under fire. His bow firm, his arms limber with the backing of the champion of Jacob, the shepherd, the rock of Israel, the God of your father. May he help you and may the strong God, may he give you his blessings, blessings tumbling out of the skies, blessings bursting up from the earth, blessing of breast and womb. May the blessings of your father exceed the blessings of the ancient mountains, surpass the delights of the eternal hills. May they rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the one consecrated among his brothers. His father tells us that Joseph was well watered and he was provided for. That he held steady under fire that Joseph was clear and consistent with God he was constant with with God he was God's servant in everybody's house he was shot at and hated but still fruitful uh oh <laughs> he was dodging stuff left and right but he was still fruitful His bow being firm and his arms being limber. He kept doing the work. Mm -hmm. The enemy kept taking aim at Joseph, but he kept doing the work. His brothers took aim at him. Didn't stop Joseph from being who he was. He gets sold into enslavement. Doesn't stop Joseph from being who he is. He gets accused of sexual misconduct doesn't stop joseph from being who he is he's overseeing people in the prison doesn't stop joseph from being who he is he is a constant god's hand was on him god's hands were on his hands strengthening him and increasing his skill increasing him in specialization Joseph, in this prophecy, sees his father give insight about God. Jacob calls him five things. Jacob gives us five different names about God as he prophesies over Joseph. He calls him the mighty God of Jacob. He calls him the shepherd. He calls him the stone of Israel. He calls him the God of your father and he calls him the almighty. And Joseph gets to see and recognize his father has his own connection with God beyond his forefathers. Because if you go back in Jacob's history, Jacob would always refer to God as the God of Abraham or the fear of his father Isaac. But here it is at the end of Jacob's life. He's had 17 years of living in Egypt under his son's authority, under his son's rule, and he has come to know God in a personal way for himself. What a blessing to see his son as a well-watered vine, planted by a spring, being assured that his line, his lineage, was going to multiply and thrive. Joseph had named even one of his sons Ephraim, which means doubly fruitful or fruitful through suffering and affliction. He named the other son Manasseh, Meaning, God has caused me to forget my suffering because why? My fruitfulness has overtaken my pain. Are you in a place? Are you in a space? There was a space in Joseph's life where he realized his fruitfulness had overtaken his suffering, his fruitfulness had overtaken his pain, his fruitfulness had overtaken all of the things that he had gone through in order to get to that point. He had insightful gratitude. So we pick up at Genesis 50 and verse 4. And this is very, very important. We're coming to the crux of what God wanted to share with us. And he said, I got to give you some backstory first. I got to walk you through what Joseph has actually gone through in his life. Genesis 50. After his father prophesies. After Jacob finishes instructing his sons. After he pulls his feet into the bed. After he breathes his last and is gathered to his people joseph threw himself on his father wept over him and kissed him and they took their time mourning jacob they took their time but what happens after the funeral (laughs) you know after funerals and i often say this there are three main times where human beings are sure to be a little emotional or overwrought. There are three general times that human beings are sure to cut up. If there's ever a time in your life where human beings cut up, (laughs) you're going to find it at weddings, births, and funerals. People get very emotional and sometimes dysregulated at these times. And guess what? His brothers were no different. Let's look at verse 14, Genesis 50. After burying his father, Joseph went back to Egypt. All his brothers who had come with him to bury his father returned with him. After the funeral, Joseph's brothers talked among themselves. What if Joseph is carrying a grudge? And decides to pay us back for all the wrong we did him. So they were clearly aware that what they were doing was wrong, right? They started talking amongst themselves. Daddy is gone. Joseph may have been the only, he may have only been good to us on account of our father. We know people like that. We know relatives like that, right? they only treat you good when your parents are around. (laughs) But when they're not, they're, 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 they're not doing you well, right? So they thought to themselves, maybe Joseph is only good to us on account of our dad, but our dad's gone now. What's stopping Joseph? What's stopping Joseph from doing unto us as we did unto him? what if joseph is carrying a grudge and decides to pay us back now mind you it has been 24 years since everything went down between joseph and his brothers but their conscience was still eating away at them because they had not cleared it 24 years think about that they were so worried about a non-existent grudge that gratitude was not even on their minds. God had delivered them from famine. God had delivered the nation of Israel. And at the time when they came to Egypt, there were 70 souls that came. God had delivered them as a nation and as a people from extinction by famine and the only thing that they can think about is whether or not their brother has a grudge against them 24 years later. So now I got to ask the question, what have they been living in? Where has their mind been? They were held captive by their worry and their past misdeeds. They were not even enjoying the land of plenty. Will you let worry rob you today of what you could be enjoying right now in the present? These brothers then put together a bogus statement. Let's look at this statement that they sent to joseph so they sent joseph a message before his death your father gave this command tell joseph forgive your brother's sin all that wrongdoing they did treat you very badly will you do it will you forgive the sins of the servants of your father's god when joseph received their message he wept I can imagine why he would weep. It's been 24 years and they are still living in fear of retribution. They were now conspiring. I want you to think about this. They were now conspiring to tell Joseph a lie about his father just like they had conspired to tell the father a lie about what happened to Joseph. They lie. They are lying on the front end and the back end. Remember, they went to his father and told his father a lie, and now they're coming to Joseph with a lie. I believe it was in that moment that Joseph wept because they had not changed. Fear was still driving their relationship with Joseph. Not gratitude, fear. Fear was driving it. Verse 18, then the brothers went in person to him threw themselves on the ground before him and said, we'll be your slaves. That's how we know their mind has not shifted. Their mind did not change. They still don't see themselves as brothers. Remember that stranger When Joseph first was going out to do his father's bidding. That stranger asked Joseph when he was 17, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Here it is. Joseph is still looking for his brothers. Cause they still don't see him as a brother. Joseph never wanted a master-slave relationship with them. He wanted fellow brethren. And they cannot seem to fathom what Joseph is offering them. He is offering them love freely given. What does he say? It's often quoted, Genesis 50, Genesis 50. 19 through 21. Joseph replied, don't be afraid. Do I act for God? Don't you see you planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good? As you see all around you right now, the life for many people, you have nothing to fear. I'll take care of you and your children. He reassured them, speaking with them heart to heart. Joseph is not trying to be in a master slave relationship with his brothers. He's got too much gratitude. He's got too much insight. He knows that God sent him ahead to prepare a way to preserve a nation and a people. Joseph had something that his brothers, it seems as if they never picked up on, and that was insight. You planned it for evil, and God used that same thing for my good. I've got insight. That's why I've got gratitude. I know what I was sent here to do. I might not have known it at 17. I might not have known it at 20. I might not have known it at 29. But when he hits 30 and he is ushered into a plan that preserves a nation, he's very clear on what he was sent to do. And I want to encourage people today. I want you to ask your creator for insight. Give me insight on what I am sent here to do. Let me be clear on what I am sent here to do. Regardless of how anybody feels about it, regardless of whether or not somebody congratulates me on it, regardless of if people come around or they don't come around on it, I want to make sure I am clear on what I am sent here to do. I'm quite sure when Joseph gets thrown into a pit and then pulled out only to be sent and shifted off into slavery, he probably thought his life was over, right? That maybe he would just be placed into obscurity, never to be heard from again. But we know that God was with him. He was sending Joseph as a seed in the ground of egypt to grow up into a harvest not just for the nation of egypt but also for the nation of israel he tells them have nothing to fear he spoke with them heart to heart now we know that the scripture says here that joseph lived 110 years and he saw to his third generation that means he saw to his great great grandchildren he ends his life prophesying to them he has so much insight joseph does that he prophesies to them and this is what he says at the end of his life joseph said to his brothers genesis 50 verse 24 i am ready to die god will most certainly pay you a visit and take you out of this land and back to the land he so promised solemnly promised to abraham isaac and jacob then joseph made the sons of israel promise under oath when god makes his visitation Make sure you take my bones with you as you leave here. He died at the age of 110. They embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. And guess what? (laughs) Exodus 13 verse 19 tells us that as they were leaving, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Do you know how long ago that, you know how much time would pass? 430 years. Joseph could see centuries into the future to tell them, God's going to pay you a visit. (laughs) When he does, make sure you take me with you. Do not leave my bones in this place. I think that's so powerful that on his deathbed, That he is able to give instruction, that he's able to give wisdom, that he's able to give insight, that guides his generations forward and becomes a marker for them when it is time for them to make their exit and their exodus. I can't even explain how powerful that is. But it's powerful. What? and insight what oral history had to be told and had to be held on to and had to be passed down what prophecy and memory and instruction to each generation and what follow through because it's not enough For Joseph to give that wisdom, give that instruction, give that prophecy, give that hope without having descendants to actually follow through on it, which Moses actually does. Joseph shows us that our gratitude and our trust in God even in hard and difficult times can open up insight into our purpose and not only our purpose it can open up insight into our generation's purpose to come Joseph in every part of his life was leading to an end to a purpose to a bigger and larger picture than just his personal agenda or even his family's agenda but to the nation of e- Egypt and the nation Forming of Israel. We want nation blessings. This is what the Lord told me to tell you as we close today. We want nation blessings, but we don't want to get out of our individualistic mind. We want the blessings, but not the pressure. We don't want the arrows. We don't want the shots fired our way. But hear this today, if you hear nothing else, you cannot hold the blessings of gratitude and the grudges of hard circumstance at the same time. Mm -hmm. Grudges carry a burden that is heavy. His brothers expected him to still be holding a grudge. He could not hold grudge and gratitude. The burden of bitterness, the burden of resentment, the burden of regret. You have to decide what you want to hold. Gratitude or grudges, blessings or burdens. The scripture says, cast your burden to the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Psalm 55 verse 22 We see that picture in the life of Joseph. God sustained him. Joseph fully entrusted his outcome to God. His life of service was in God's hands. And as Christ tells us often, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I want to ask you as I close today, what insights about your life, about your plight, about your trials, about your story, are you leaving on the table because you've left out gratitude? Before Joseph departed this plane of life, he was clear on what he had been sent to do. He was an apostle of grain. He was preparing the way to preserve a people. This was a very Christ-like energy for the people of his time. He was a savior in his generation. He was clear on providing insight 430 years into the future. Almost as if he was warning his descendants, don't get too comfortable here. God's going to visit y'all and it will be time to go to the promised land. This arrangement right here is good, but this is not permanent. As I close today, I want to leave you with three things. Gratitude will give you insight. Gratitude will give you clarity. Gratitude will help you to get clear on your purpose. You may not understand your journey, but know that God will be with you. He will provide that clarity. He will provide that insight. I encourage you today, cultivate gratitude with God and know that he's got you and will grant you grace and insight along the way. I encourage you today to go with God.
1: Let's understand what it means to be sold out by family, to be disowned by those who you love, to be a fruit for your situation, to be a fruit of someone's jealousy and rage. At no fault of your own. Now we're not talking about people who committed acts of darkness to the family members and family members are correcting situations. We're talking about Joseph, all he did was listen and obey. I don't like to use use the word obey. Listen and and, um, comply and honor with the words of his father. This is very personal because I know in my growing up, in my younger years, I was very passionate about helping out my father. It's a beautiful thing to have. First of all, number one, it's a beautiful thing to have a father in your life. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's amazing about this situation with Joseph is that his father been through many traumas and situations himself. so. Him in his older age looking at his children, he didn't want to have his children to encounter or deal with the things that he encountered in his young adult and adult life before he had children. So there's a special sense of care and covering that comes from fathers towards their children. There is a certain, and see, this is the thing that is very personal, is that there is a thing that fathers can see in their children. Yes, Joseph was the child from the wife who he loved and who he only wanted in the first place, which was Rachel. So there is that affection there because the woman who he actually loved and was manipulated where he didn't get her as the original uh, fruit of his love. When he had the firstborn of his love, that's something that happened. So Joseph was like a middle child, okay? In essence. And so therefore, when you see parents loving their children, you don't know what it took for those parents to encounter in their life. They get to a position where they can do nothing but share the best of their heart for their children don't fault your parents for that some people feel your parents are protective some people feel your parents are what do you call it helicoptering or whatsoever is the term I've heard with the different peers I have but what happens those par- that love for that parent is Deep is a deep well within them. So when they give you an uh, you know, see what this is what happens. Jo- Jacob gave his son Joseph tasks that are commensurate with what his education and life living level was. A simple task. Like he gave him a very simple task. And this is a part that people miss. Who knows what additional plans Jacob had for Joseph? and his family, mm-hmm. in the growth. So when you see what his brothers did, brothers have a tendency, everybody wants this whole concept of being a part of the brotherhood. But you have to watch the motives of brotherhood. Joseph was young and he was naive, which is what you should be, because when you're young and you just doing what your father asked you to do, You know, that's a simple thing. But one thing we have to realize through the story of Joseph is that, and it's something I talked about earlier this past week is that it will totally surprise you who would be... um, Providing ill will towards you simply because of your gift, your talents, and your perseverance. Joseph had dreams. His father didn't dismiss his dreams. His father recognized a child was forming and growing and learning himself. Okay? So in the process of you learning and developing yourself as God has given you, people are going to hate you. The thing that I take pause with in her um, delivery of this lecture and dialogue today is that Joseph went on a one day mission in compliance to the desires of his father to do something simple for the family and that turned into 13 years can you imagine oh like Trayvon Martin comes to mind and other people who have lost their lives in the midst of doing something simple, human activity. Um, A simple thing like check on your brothers, report on the progress of what they're doing and let me understand so I can make a decision for how further along or what other things we can have done for the family. That's also, Joseph wasn't, I mean, Jacob was not just Uh, Joseph was not just a son. He was a son of an entrepreneur. Family-run business. When you're in business, there are things you have to calculate and evaluate and you need help and support in doing that. Joseph was happy to help his father help keep the business growing and developing. But you can tell who does not have a heart for growth versus who does. Joseph had a heart for growth His brothers did not because they were focused on the wrong thing. Many times in your younger life, in our younger years, we have a tendency to have those around us who are so focused on the things that do not matter or that are non-existent and they form these great imaginations in their mind, creating a sense and a and a toxicity in them, that all they do is want to harm others. It baffles me beyond measure that people could take their own flesh and blood, sell it to strangers. I mean, first of all, throw it in the pit and sell it to strangers. Joseph was the youngest, the baby of the family at the time. Mm -hmm. That is some real... I don't even have a word for it. I can't even put a word to that. That you would take your own. I mean, i look at, like, uh, there's a situation where I know there's a younger there's a younger family, and I see the older brother really loving this younger brother, know, and, and making sure his younger brother's okay. And that really, really, really touches my heart to see that that older brother looks out and cares for the younger brother. Who can do that to their baby? without a hate from hell. But what she said that was so important about this message that Joseph pursued gratitude, not grudges, because he kept growing in his life despite his personal circumstances dealing with infantile humans. He continued... A strong work ethic, regardless of whatever the situation was in his life. Your work ethic. See, that's the thing. And I can tell you this from experience myself. When you continue on with your work ethic, not focus on the traumas. Like in this current culture we have, we have what's called racism. An imaginary word that was come up with where people want up hating their own brothers. Or classism. People want them hating their own fellow humans. And all of a sudden, they're so incensed upon that that they start forming groups. Groups of pride. Clans of whatsoever in order just to exercise hate upon fellow human beings who they should be living amongst as brothers, as fellow earth dwellers. So what happens is we have to understand despite what the adversary is making people want to produce that's related to hatred, Joseph stayed attuned to his gift and his work ethic. Because as you continue your work ethic, to me, I call that discipline. He was motivated by his vision from God and he was disciplined so that he wouldn't focus on the negativity of his circumstances, but upon the fruitfulness that's based along the line of his vision. When you have a work ethic, all you you wind up seeing how your gifts grow. When you continue your work ethic, you start to see the growth and the gifting that you have inside because it starts to manifest when you stay disciplined with your work ethic. When I'm creating, when I'm designing, when I'm doing things, when I'm providing designs for these facilities for these clients. And I continue with my work ethic and stick to it. There are so many things that get revealed in my gifting that come out in what I'm doing. Because God is with me in that work ethic. And he's with, He's the creator. He put, I am in his image. So his creativity comes out through me but the only way you see it manifest is if you stay committed to the work ethic and the call on your life. Amen. Long story short because there's so much to get into here. We have to understand that Joseph it's like you look at if you look at stocks and stocks and markets you have the bell curve you got up then you go down and you go up joseph had the bell curve of bell curves (laughs) yeah you know you look at stocks and indexes i mean he was up with daddy went down with brothers down into enslavement down even further into uh (laughs) imprisonment but then skyrocketed you think amazon skyrocketed you see some of these stocks that skyrocketed, a lot of these AI companies are skyrocketing. He skyrocketed with no down. There is no future down. What kind of stock market is that? That's called the God stock. When you commit to your creativity, oh, this is from the Holy Spirit. When you commit to your work ethic and your creativity from on high, your stock continues to arise regardless of what market conditions are happening. Mark conditions is the environments that are happening around you. The situation you you find yourself embedded in. You continue to rise like the stock of God. (sighs) But guess what? There's also other stocks. If you take stock in grudges and take stock in fear rather than gratitude, you will be, let me see, from 17 to 61. 17 to 20 is 3. 20 to 60 is 40. That's 43. And then one. That's 44 years. Their stock continued to plunge because they kept being focused on fear. And to something God keeps telling me. As you continue to focus on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living where you are... you focus upon him, your stock would rise and it will rise and it will continue rising. But if you continue to focus on fear and how you treat others and being negative to others and trying to suppress others and trying to hold others down, your stock continues to plunge. I feel it here. Nobody wants plunging stock. So don't take stock in fear. You see Joseph's brother's Even after father's death, still plotting and planning on how to make up some kind of manufactured statement about their father. They lied to the father Joseph was dead. They had to live with that. So as you continue to oppress, as you continue to sell out, as you continue to enslave, you live a life of fear. And endangerment, because you endanger your own selves. That's a message to America. That's a message to the West. Joseph and his family were Egyptian. Land of Kemet. He got married to a wonderful sister. <laughs> And had children from that sister in the land of Kemet. And they grew up. I mean, you could tell they were intertwined because they looked alike. <sighs> oh, so much to say here. But we thank God that even as Joseph said, Yes, I'm in Egypt, but I want you, when God comes and shows Himself, and when the truth of abolition comes to our land where we will not be dependent upon another nation as we move forward I want you to take my body and my bones and take it into this land of freedom which really really blesses my spirit because we're watching different documentaries and you see there was mass graves of those who were enslaved in this nation and they were mass graves of where people were enslaved at can you imagine exhuming those bones and put it into a place of freedom? I designed a project where it was a, a garden of remembrance. It was a gigantic center for remembrance. Okay. And can you just imagine there being like Byron Stevenson down in. in um, Brian Stevenson. Mm-hmm. So. In Alabama. Uh, he started this process where you're taking people's bones and their memory and put it into a place of freedom. And soil of freedom. So anyway, there's so much to say here. We thank God. I don't want to go off on another message here. But we thank God. The way this young lady prophet is smiling at me. I could feel gratitude just building up even in this environment here. So we bless God for you. And let's just pray. <sighs> I feel the colorfulness of God today. Bless God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this message about gratitude. Father, simply help us to understand That no matter what human interaction of toxicity that tries to invade our lives, you are with us and you cause our stock to grow. Help us to be patient as we watch our stocks grow, as we continue to invest in the gifts, skills, and talents that you give our lives. In the most precious name of Yeshua Hamashiach, Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen those who don't know Christ those who don't know who the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is not what politics is about but the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob as it was from the original text and the authentic history at the time of the text that that God is there for you to help you grow and win in all situations so you keep winning You keep focused on being in gratitude and watch your life grow and develop in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.